Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. We believe in the American way. And we built this country called the USA. And we fly our flag because we're proud and free. We're Americans. Red, white, and blue is our way of life. We never back down from a challenge or a fight. Nature provides, God gives the right. We're Americans. Make up America. It's amazing America. Welcome to our Convention of States podcast, That Provident Article. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the United States Constitution, the amending provision, with a general view on the phrase Convention for Proposing Amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States project. My name is Paul Hodson. I am the co-director here in the great state of Texas. Each week we meet to educate ourselves on Article 5 to promote the Convention of States project and its use of Article 5 to rein in our federal government. For more information regarding the Convention of States project, I invite you to visit www.conventionofstates.com. Later in the show, if opportunity allows, our call-in number is 914-205-5632. Further contact information is available at blogtalkradio.com for that Provident article. We want to thank Madison Rising, America's most patriotic rock band, endorsers of the Convention of State Project, for the use of all the music here on our episodes of that Provident article. Please visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. And a quick review as we begin our show, Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution is available there in full on blogtalkradio.com on our site. We particularly look at that phrase, Convention for Proposing Amendments, as initiated by the applications of two-thirds of the state's legislatures. And we want to point out the subject matter of our application at the Convention of States Three points, impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. And good morning to all our Convention of States friends out there, Convention of States patriots, warriors. May 7th, 2016, this is Paul Hudson from the great state of Texas, co-director here for the Convention of States. What a week we've had, another uh, tumultuous week in politics here in the United States. Uh, But for the Convention of States, another great week for us. We want to cover our news, and then we will discuss some of what's going on with the presidential election and really what that means for the Convention of States. May 7th news, and a quick reminder again, you can always check what's going on around the nation or at your particular state by going to our, our Convention of States news blog, conventionofstates.com news blog is the site, the backslash news blog. Uh, Each of your states may have some information particular to them, and I will start posting this as well, the COS Action, www.cosaction.com, 
and each state has its own site, and you can go there and see what may be going on in your state in particular. Around the nation, we had some really fascinating news uh, from Louisiana. We know we, we said last week that they were going to be in two committees at the same time. We heard that they ended up sending the resolution to a Senate committee, which is designated as a kill committee, and it's exactly what it means. You send a bill there to get killed. Uh, this is a committee that was uh, made up of five Democrats and four Republicans. Two of the Democrats voted to support uh, our resolution after hearing testimony from high schoolers who came in from around the state. And this is just evidence of the great breadth of support for reining in the federal government. It is a bipartisan or a nonpartisan issue. And if you get the people in there who will explain this, uh, it, it, when you ask the question, who gets to decide, you know what? State legislators like to think, you know what? I want to decide. And they, don't, and they, they take off their party hat, whether it's Democrat or Republican or Libertarian, especially Libertarian perhaps. And they say, you know what? I want to decide. My state wants to decide. So the Louisiana Senate has sent our resolution on to whatever its next step is there in Louisiana, whether that goes straight to the floor or it goes to another committee. The great state of Missouri, uh, very exciting news there. They have passed their final Senate committee. All they wait on now is a Senate floor vote anytime. And I know when I've watched uh, some, some of the uh, legislative action in Missouri, it's a little hard to follow where they're at in their agenda. And so they are unsure as to when that could come up on the floor, but it could be any time that that comes up for a floor vote. Passed in the Missouri Senate last year. We are anticipating Missouri to become the eighth state to pass our application. And then in South Dakota, we just want to pass this on. This, this occurs uh, on our legislation. It passed the South Dakota House, and it died in Senate committee. And this is evidence we have. We've, we've had these stories from around the nation in different states. It happened in our own state of Texas. One of the things we use this is as an object lesson as to how difficult it is to get an amendment ratified. And this is an, an area in which you can go to your legislators and say, look, you, you oppose us. Look how difficult it is just to get our resolution through. Imagine an amendment trying to get through that's been proposed, and it has to go through 38 states. You know, 49 of the 50 states are bicameral, which means there's two houses, multiple committees they got to go through. In Nebraska, even though it's only a single house, they still have multiple committees that these resolutions go through, that amendments would go through, you know, proposed amendments for ratification. It's difficult to get something done which will structurally affect the foundation of our government. And final news, I, w I want to state this is Texas-related. Uh, our GOP convention is coming up this week. We are going to be very busy here in Texas. We are very, very excited here. Governor Abbott, who, of course, uh, promoted and has uh, asked that Texas join with the other convention of states states in passing our resolution. He will be giving the keynote address this coming Thursday. It will be speaking on the convention of states and on the Texas plan, which is his, his uh, application of it of, with uh, nine proposed amendments, which he has, but they are all germane under our application. We are incredibly thrilled to have Governor Abbott uh, joining us, helping to spearhead and promote the convention of states uh, the publicity that's going to get his book will launch. His book tour will launch the next week, May 17th. His book comes out, and uh, he is going to be going nationwide and encouraging other states and all the connections he has with governors to 
uh, promote the Convention of States and to get it passed. So let's move on. And I know I have a, a, a caller on hold, but I think our, our presentation is going to go fairly quick. And if you're on just to listen, that works as well. And if you're on to ask a question, uh, we'll go through the presentation. Because we have our nominees here, uh, or at least our supposed nominees, and, and what's next? A lot of people ask what's next. First of all, of course, it's been a very, very crazy uh, presidential campaign, uh, very tumultuous as a lot of times they are. The Republican Party started off with 17 candidates. Uh, we've now whittled it down to our presumptive nominee. On the Democrat side, they uh, they do their uh, voting a little bit differently and their selection process a little bit differently. They have super delegates, so even if that race looks close from a delegate perspective, uh, most pundits think it's a foregone conclusion that Hillary Clinton will be the nominee. I know there's other parties out there, third parties, Libertarian, and some other parties with candidates. Political reality is that the president is going to come from one of these two parties, uh, the Republican or the Democrat. And there are people for, who have various candidates that they either support, and they're very excited right now. And a lot of people are very frustrated right now because a candidate that they supported is no longer uh, a viable uh, option for, for selection and election as president. So people ask, well, what do we do next? What can I do? And the first thing I would say is, and this is on our slide for our presentation, is this even the right question to ask? Uh, I'll remind you of some of the things we, we discussed when Justice Antonin Scalia passed away, and they're great concern. You know, what's going to happen with the Supreme Court? Are these even the right questions to ask? And why do we hold that the office of the presidency has so much power and influence? Because throughout our nation's history, Presidents have proven that they are no more perfect than any other citizen. It's not like they have some incredible ability to uh, guide things through. And how plausible is it under the current structure as executed, and if you're looking at the slides, I have that underlined and italicized, that any president can reduce the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Any president. I don't care who your candidate was. How plausible was it that the way our federal government works right now, and I'm not talking about – looking at the written constitution, those uh, few pages and 27 amendments, not how it should function, how it actually is functioning now as interpreted by the Supreme Court and all the precedent that's been set. How plausible is it under that structure as executed that a president can reduce the power and jurisdiction of the federal government? And the answer is not very plausible. So what is the right question to ask? How can we restore the original meaning of the structure of the executive branch, and back in, in the days when the Constitution was written, they would call this department. They didn't use the word branch. The executive branch, how can we restore that original meaning so that the execution of that structure is not dependent solely on who holds the office? Again, as we talked with about the Supreme Court with Justice Scalia, we need to think outside uh, personalities, uh, people, we need to start thinking in terms of what is the structure of our government, how do we constrain whoever is acting in those positions at any time, how is it we can put constraints on them? How can you constrain the executive branch, and how can that be enforced? Well, we, well there are enforcement mechanisms in the Constitution right now. Congress, they have some great constraints in the Senate. You have the treaty power in which – the Senate is to ratify treaties, and that's a high threshold, two-thirds. Now, there's a lot of times that the executive branch bypasses that, 
and that there are other times, which we've seen in the past year, where the Senate capitulates and allows the president to bypass that power. So you have collusion. Senator Mike Lee has talked about the collusion in the federal government amongst the branches. There, there was another example, the Senate basically rolling over and allowing a president to execute a treaty without going through the process. And, of course, they have the advice and consent on appointees, including Supreme Court appointees of the president. And the biggest power that the Congress has is not really in the Senate. It's in the House. And the House has refused to exercise the power of the purse in any meaningful way in a long, long time. And that is really where you could stranglehold the executive branch because if they don't have money, it doesn't matter what they try to enforce. They can't get that uh, that done. What other constraint is there on the executive branch? Well, obviously, the Supreme Court in in our Constitution, they have the power to restrain as if somebody contests what a president has done, an executive order or an action. You can take it to the Supreme Court. We've had an issue on that just in the last several weeks in which Texas versus the United States, as Texas took the lead under then Attorney General Greg Abbott concerning the uh, illegal immigration executive order issued by the current president. And that case is being decided now, but with a, a court with only eight members, um, they're going to need a majority to overturn the lower court's decision to uphold the appeal from the states. But that is a means of constraint that could come from the Supreme Court. What about the states? What kind of constraints can the states put on the executive branch? How can they constrain it? What about that Tenth Amendment? What does that mean that, that all other powers, which basically are not enumerated in the Constitution, fall to the states? What exactly does that mean, and what's, what's the constitutional mechanism of executing the principles of the Tenth Amendment? You know, Folks will ask, and they will, they will pound on the doors, you know, use your Tenth Amendment rights to, um, to do whatever, to either ignore what the federal government is, is asking or to overturn it. But how, how do you do it with a constitutional mechanism of the Tenth Amendment? And it's Article 5 which provides that mechanism to enforce the Tenth Amendment and to give us the teeth, as Governor Abbott has said in his speech, put teeth in the Tenth Amendment. It's the amending provision. Article 5 des describes how you can amend the Constitution. The states are one of the means which are one of the two mechanisms that can can amend the Constitution. They have been granted the enumerated power through their state legislatures to apply for a quote convention for proposing amendments unquote. And I wanted to emphasize that that phrase enumerated power. It's not in the Constitution, but it is referenced often with Congress and their enumerated powers. Well, the states have an enumerated power. It's explicitly stated in the Constitution that the states have this power to apply for a convention for proposing amendments. We have opponents who say we need to, that all that needs to be done is follow the Constitution. This is an enumerated power in the Constitution for the state legislatures. We need to start trusting the Constitution for that, those enumerated powers. We need to practice what we preach. We preach we should follow the Constitution. Well, let's follow the Constitution and ask the state legislatures to do that. Well, how can new amendments constrain the executive branch? It, it's a question which gets asked. They don't follow the, the uh, Constitution now. How's a new amendment going to do that? Several things you can propose and get ratified. We can specify some controlling language regarding the Commerce Clause, one of the most abused clauses 
in the Constitution. That was originally intended to apply only to interstate commerce, which is the transportation of goods or, or people even. You know, interstate commerce can be passenger trains, certainly uh, airplanes, uh, busing, anything which would cross state lines. And, and those are things in which you want the federal government to have some controlling power so that one state doesn't uh, overburden another state when people or goods are, are traversing those lines. So restore the original meaning of the Commerce Clause by putting some very controlling language in in an amendment to redefine and, again, uh, bring back the original intent and original meaning of the Commerce Clause. And that Commerce Clause is important because it, it's what would constrain regulatory agencies. And even those regulatory agencies are authorized by the Congress, they are directed by the executive branch. The EPA takes its direction now from the executive branch, and Congress Though they are supposed to oversee, they are not doing that. They are not providing the type of oversight, and they certainly aren't restraining through the power of the purse, which they could do. What else can we do, though? How, what about a new amendment which would grant explicit enumerated authority to a supermajority of state legislatures to overrule any executive orders or any regulatory code? And I put the word code in quotes there because code is just another word for law. If the EPA puts out a regulation on uh, clean air, that's not, you know, that's not a suggestion. You are in violation of the law, and there are penalties imposed if you violate that. And that no elected official has come up with that law, and yet it has the force of law. And we want to be able to grant – we want to be able to propose an amendment which would grant state legislatures the authority to overrule any type of order. And if we get a supermajority, and that, that number can be uh, debated, if you want it to be three-fifths or two-thirds of the state legislatures, that's a debatable point. Uh, but we believe that to restore the intent of the constitution of, of the states actually controlling the federal government, you put an explicit enumerated authority in the constitution through an amendment, uh, that's going to hold a lot of strength. People say it won't. Uh, when you have political muscle behind something like this, and political muscle means the grassroots and the people are aware of what's going on. It, it, the, bar, the bar is so high, three-fourths ratification on an amendment. People are aware of what's going on in the nation. Uh, Congress and the president and the Supreme Court pay attention because it is, a, it is the will of the people at that point, which has been expressed through an amendment. Great. How do we make this happen? Well, we work with our state legislators, obviously, and they are much more approachable and easier to get a hold of than your congressman, and certainly more than the president, and certainly more than a Supreme Court justice. Uh, you want to encourage your state legislatures and your legislators to support the Convention of States Resolution, which applies for an Article 5 Convention for Proposing Amendments. As we mentioned at the beginning of every show, uh, there's three areas there in which we are, are focusing, to impose fiscal restraint. That's taxing and spending, uh, anything dealing with that, so balanced budget, and anything dealing with taxation, income tax, how you want to control that. Uh, we want to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. And what we discussed today about the Commerce Clause, that's where that falls under that subject. And we also have to impose term limits on federal officials, looking at the judiciary there, like the Supreme Court, and members of Congress, another way in which you can constrain the federal government. So is this an organized effort? Obviously. Um, we have the Convention of States Project. We are active, 
and organized in all 50 states in the, in the union. Our application has already passed, as we said in our, our news today, in seven states. We are active in dozens of others. And when I say active, I don't necessarily mean the legislatures are currently in session working it, although that is true in a lot of states still. But active can mean, as we are doing here in Texas, we aren't in session again until January, but we already have our sponsor ready in the House who's ready to carry our bill. We are working actively and, and just about have pinned down our sponsor in the, on the Senate side. And, of course, we have our governor in the state of Texas who has made this the legislative priority in our next session. So there is a lot of political muscle here in Texas. And we hope to share some of that political muscle with the rest of the nation as we uh, loan our governor out for promoting the Convention of States. But that is how you get this done is, is work – even when your session is, is, not in, in, is not active, you can be working to get your application ready. We have over 1.2 million supporters nationwide. It continues to grow. This is a huge grassroots effort, and we can use you as little or as much of your time as you have available and you can offer. This is not something in which – you necessarily have to put in even two hours a week. If you can make a phone call once a month or maybe once every three months, when, when the session is in, you may be asked to make a call uh, every week or so to the Capitol building, to your Capitol, to your state legislator, or to a specific state legislator. Uh, if you can write an email or even write a letter, handwritten letters uh, carry a lot of weight in legislators' offices. Any of that, any time like that that you can offer is appreciated, and it accumulates, it aggregates, as we say, as you get many of those in legislators' offices. Many of those contacts, they hear the voices. You start getting over 10, 15, 20 of those contacts in one little district, uh, it gets their attention. We're in, in our districts uh, around the nation. There are many districts in, in just the lower house levels in which they are in the hundreds of these contacts. And at the Senate levels, you know, the upper house in many of these states, we go into four digits, you know, over a thousand petitions signed, a, a thousand contacts, people contacting them all the time. And you can go to the www.conventionofstates.com for any information you might want to see or how to contact, how to get involved. That's it for the presentation today. I'm going to open up the phone line. I have one caller on who's been holding the whole time, perhaps just to listen. Your phone number ends in 7387, and I'm bringing you up live right now, whoever this is on the line. Who, who are we speaking with? And you're on speaker. I can hear you. Who's on the line, and did you have a question? Oh, he just bailed out. That's fine. I think he was realizing he was just hanging on to uh, listen to the call or listen to the episode, and that's fine. A, a reminder, you can actually just go straight to the site, the link, and you will be able to hear what is, is being presented. You can go there anytime after after the episode is aired to hear it at any time you wish. I don't know how long Blog Talk Radio keeps these on, but as far as I can tell, it's uh, forever. At least it's forever as long as we've been doing our show. And these shows actually then roll over to iTunes. If you want to listen to uh, this episode or any episode as an iTunes episode, download it to your mobile device. Um, you can do that as well. I have nothing else for this session, for this episode. Next week, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing. As I said, Texas is going to the GOP convention this coming week, and we are going to be busy there all week. Saturday is a huge day for us. Uh, 
We have uh, obviously a lot of party business going on, uh, but Governor Abbott will be signing his book uh, later that morning on Saturday. And I know many of us from the Convention of States will be in line getting the book, getting his signature, thanking him for joining our effort here with the Convention of States, uh, you know, thanking him profusely for joining us. Um, but it means I'm going to be at a convention center when this show is live, airing live. I'm either going to record something and just play that, or I may try something really, really crazy at 8.30 next week, and we may be live at the convention. Uh, we have a booth there. We have hundreds and hundreds of our supporters who are coming as delegates, getting involved in the party system here in Texas. Um, and I will pitch that to you. Uh, this is something I, I tell our, our leadership here in Texas, and I try and, and say it whenever I go and give a presentation. Understand that your state legislators, I don't care which state you're in, you go to that Capitol building, and here in Texas we have 181 legislators, 150 in the House, 31 in the Senate. There isn't a one of them which is not affiliated with a political party. That means if you want to have some leverage with them, it is to your advantage to have some type of connection with a political party. You know, the political party may be that uh, your legislator is involved with. Uh, that does carry some weight and gives you uh, some advantage and, and a foot in the door in speaking with someone. Uh, this is not a pitch to be involved in the party just to be involved with the party. This is a pitch to be involved with the party to make a change. Uh, that is how we are going to affect change in this nation. The, the nation is set up right now in which political parties drive the political process. And Citizens for Self-Governance, which is our parent organization, uh, is encouraging us to be involved in our own governance. Uh, that is the, the first project we have is the Convention of States project. But that doesn't mean we're going to stop here when we're done and when we succeed. You know, liberty and freedom must always be defended, and the place you defend it uh, in our structures is at the grassroots level, but being involved and influencing members of your, your legislators, your, your elected officials at all levels of government, be it at your local levels, city, county, you know, your mayors, your county commissioners, your county judges, uh, all those elected officials, even the people who are involved, uh, there's a lot of places where you elect your tax assessors. Um, people like that, be involved at that level, and there's a lot you can do at the local level, your local school boards. Um, I encourage you to be involved and to start paying attention at what's going on in the local levels and to be able to have a little bit of leverage then when you speak with your state legislators. The most powerful person, uh, powerful elected official, is your state legislator in the entire country. I was at a, an event last December uh, presenting, and uh, the representative, the, the uh, liaison for my congressman was there, and I have a, actually have a really good congressman. Uh, but they were making introductions of the elected officials at the meeting by rank of, of uh, their order, uh, basically, of authority. And they started with the candidates for state legislator. And I was looking at the, at the person, a friend of mine, who uh, works with my congressman, and uh, I mentioned to that when I got up to give my presentation that I, I found it uh, fascinating that we went in that order because you typically won't do that. You'll typically want to recognize your congressman first. Uh, you, know, you think that the federal official is, is being the one you want to recognize. But I, I looked at her, and she was nodding her head yes as I said, you know, uh, we went in the correct order there. The person, the, the 
uh, office which has the most authority in our nation are the state legislatures and legislators because they have unilateral unilateral authority to affect the structure and to put constraints on the federal government through the Article 5 amending process. They have great authority if they wish to exercise it, and we are calling upon them to exercise that enumerated power they have. It's in the Constitution. We aren't afraid of the Constitution. We aren't afraid of Article 5. We trust the founders. We trust we, the people, to keep an eye on them and to be the support and the educators for the entire grassroots and for the entire nation behind them. And we trust our state legislators. It doesn't mean individually each and every one of them are trustworthy, but we have found in every state some great patriots, great statesmen who are willing to stand up for our nation, willing to stand up for freedom and liberty. And we would ask you to join with us in the Convention of States Project. Find these legislators, support and encourage them to support us. And encourage your own legislators to join us as well. Get on board. Okay, enough of my uh, of my pontificating. We're going to go ahead and let Madison Rising play us out here. Uh, we'll talk to you next week one way or another. And thank you once again for listening to that Provident article. We appreciate your listening. My name is Paul Hodson. I'm the co-director here in Texas, the Convention of States Project. We want to thank Madison Rising for all the music that they provide here, our intro and outro. Go out to their website, www.madisonrising.com. We invite you also to go out to our Convention of States website, www.conventionofstates.com. We want to thank the Convention of States Project, Mark Meckler, founder and president, Citizens for Self-Governance, Michael Ferris, head of the Convention of States Project, and a big, big thank you to our entire Texas Convention of States team. And we invite you to join us again next week for another episode of That Provident Article. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.